And so I just pray this morning that you'll open your heart. Listen to the word of God. I've got a little bit of a different message this morning than what I usually present it. And so I'm going to need somebody really good over there. And Haley can handle it this morning. All right. We've got uh, several places that I want to go in scripture and, and read a few spots. I'm going to have her put those up on the uh, overhead. There is a revelation of Jesus Christ in every facet of his life. We have already uh, touched on in this last month, we've touched on his birth, we've touched on his young life, his baptism and anointing. Uh, Last week we talked about his messianic ministry. This morning I want to talk about his death. I want to talk about Jesus was revealed, who he is in his death. Somebody said, well, I don't know that Jesus was, was the answer to the Messiah. And the question may still be in people's mind whether Jesus satisfied prophecy. There's a lot of scholars that really have that question. Did he actually satisfy all the prophetic things that were said in the Old Testament? And I'm here to reassure you this morning that he did, that he reveals himself again and again and again. And here in death, we're going to look at the revelation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you would turn with me uh, to the book of of, uh, John, 12th chapter, and I want to read a few scriptures beginning the 27th verse. John 12, chapter 27, verse, if anyone serves me, the 26th verse, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will also be, and if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him, and then suddenly, verse 27, and my soul is troubled, and what may I say? Father, save me from this hour, but on this account, I came to this hour. Instead, verse 28, it's not Father, save me from this hour, but verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven, I both glorify and again will glorify. Then standing and hearing, the crowd said that that thunder had occurred. And others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, This voice has not occurred because of me, but because of you. Now is the judgment of this world, and now the ruler of this world shall be cast out. Verse 32, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all to myself. Hmm. Verse 33, but he said this signifying by what? kind of death that he was about to die. Would you just bow your heart for a moment? Lord, we just ask you now, as we enter into your word, Lord, this word that's been preached for 2,000 years, this new covenant, and every time, Lord, your presence, your anointing, the spirit that gave this word for men to write down, Lord, that same spirit needs to touch the word this morning and touch it so that it's not just words on paper, ink on pages, Lord, but it becomes life. And I pray that life will come from these words we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. 440 years approximately before this very day, Daniel was in Babylon, along with all of the people of Israel. They had been taken away in captivity. As you remember that um, Nebuchadnezzar had come down and had taken them captive and destroyed their capital city, Jerusalem, destroyed their temple, 
basically just put them out of business, took them captive. And the book of Daniel, it's an interesting book in that there's a couple of things there that that we immediately can go to in the book of Daniel. The three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. How many knows that? Now, if you've ever been to Sunday school, you know that one. And we remember them, and, and then sort of Daniel, he was thrown, what? In the lion's den. Two really amazing things that happened in the book of Daniel. But really, there's something more amazing that happened in the book of Daniel than either one of those things. It was that the prophetic word of God came to Daniel down in Babylon. As a terrible condition to expect that the word of God would show up. Remember last week we talked about how that the word passed from uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, from the temple and all the religious order went out to John who was on the Jordan and it didn't look like really the word of God would be out there. It should have been down at the temple and with the priest. But the word of God arrives in some hard, harsh places. Daniel is in captivity. He's, he's a, a, a man of God. He will not bow. He will not turn from his following after God. And because of that, the trials and things that he went through while being in captivity, the angel of the Lord comes down. It's interesting that it's the same angel that came down to Mary and Joseph. The angel Gabriel came down in time to Daniel, right there sitting in Babylon. He's... um, minding his own business, he's praying every day, he's hearing the word of God. Now let me again tell you this, that the conditions around you don't have to be perfect for you to hear a word of God. You may be going right through some trials and some difficulties in your life, it may be right there that the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ just hits you full force. And so Daniel in the ninth chapter, if you want to go there, Sister Haley will be reading just a little bit out of the ninth chapter. And I want to start at the 24th verse, but let me preface this just a little bit. Is that uh, Daniel's praying, he's seeking God, and then the angel comes down and begins to say some things to him that really... Everyone else doesn't get the revelation because they're not seeking the Lord. They're not looking for him. But Daniel's got this heart to seeking God. And right in the middle of all the trouble and things that are going on around him, I want to start in the 24th verse and read down to the end of the chapter, the 27th verse, three verses. And Gabriel says, I, I want to show you a thing. And uh, I will show thee, he says, this What's going to happen, in other words, it gives him a prophetic word that no one has seen yet to this moment, the 24th verse. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem again, unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks, 69 weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even turbulent times. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince shall come, uh, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, 
And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. Verse 27, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of that week, he shall cause sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now, that's, that's a lot of things. And if you know Old Testament prophetic word, there's a lot of deciphering. There's, there's a lot of understanding going back to other prophetic words. But this word is a really a pretty tremendous word. And I want to slip over real quick to Matthew, the 24th chapter. If you would go there, Matthew, the 24th chapter. And I'm trying to establish something here as we get ready to preach this word. The 24th chapter, the 14th verse, and going down to the 21st verse. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the world for a witness to all nations, and then shall come the end. This is the Lord speaking here. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whosoever... See the desolation stand in the holy place. Whosoever readeth, let him understand. And let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. And let him which is on the housetop not come down and take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and, and them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath. For, such great, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here Christ is, or lo, here is Christ, and there believe it not. For there shall... Uh, arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. What I want to do, I want to couple Daniel, and that's a lot of reading. And so if I didn't put anybody to sleep so far, we're going we're gonna to gather it all together. But Jesus refers to the desolation that Daniel talked about 440 years before. Daniel comes into line of one of those prophets who hears the progressive revelation of Jesus Christ. And though in his day he sees very little, he knows very little of that time, yet the angel of God begins to tell him of these things and tell him what's going to happen. Uh, there's a proclamation going to go out, and that proclamation is to rebuild Jerusalem. And we know that during the time of the Jews' captivity, which was 70 years in Babylon, that finally Cyrus was raised up by God to make that proclamation and sent the Jewish people back to Israel to rebuild their city and to rebuild their temple and their wall. This was all done by the hand of the Lord. This isn't just by happenstance. It just isn't because somebody felt that the Jews should, should uh, go back to their place. But it is raised up. In fact, the scripture said God raised him up. And he made the proclamation. They went out and went back to their land. They began to rebuild Jerusalem. And we know about Nehemiah and Haggai and Zerubbabel and those that put the temple, and those that put the, the wall back, and those that put the city back. But it really wasn't about the city. It really wasn't about the wall. It really wasn't about the people going back to Jerusalem. It wasn't about them having their country back or their captivity. It was about 490 years. And where do we get that 490 years? It says 70 weeks shall be determined. But the word weeks here in the Hebrew it also means could be a week of years, and so it is four seventy years times seven uh, uh, seven uh, years, and what gives us one hundred and forty. Excuse me, four hundred ninety years, and so God says that during this four hundred ninety years, there's some things that are going to happen, 
And it's all going to happen within this realm of 490 years. The city will be rebuilt. And there's a lot of other things the angel didn't tell him that would happen, that happened. But the city would be rebuilt. The temple would be rebuilt. And then Herod would come and really rebuild and beautify the temple. And this was all going to happen. But he said, this 490 years in the middle of this, in 69 weeks, or 69 times 7 years, that Christ the Messiah would come in this time period. And that he not only would come in this time period, but he would also be cut off from the land of the living. Isaiah 55 said it this way, He was taken from prison to judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. And so this happens within this envelope of 490 years from the time that the decree went out. And so a lot of people have taken Daniel and mixed him with the book of Revelation and talked about it being the end time that that the end of the earth would come at that time and then brought somehow this one week that they're missing and used that as, as some kind of tribulation or something right during the time of the coming of the Lord. But this, this is an envelope in which Judaism is. There's only going to be 490 more years and God is going to close the door on Judaism. And Judaism is not the worship of God any longer. And I want you to make a mistake about that. They're worshiping something. They're just not worshiping the Christ that was to come. They left the prophetic revelation of Jesus Christ, and they held on to the religion. And it's almost, you know, it's almost sacrilegious for us to say anything about this because we consider them to be the people of God. They were the people of God. And at that time, God was using them. And at that time, God was bringing in. And God was restoring. But when he brings in Messiah, they're no longer followers of Judaism. Now, they have a decision of whether or not to follow this Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as Daniel begins to speak this word or understand this word, let me share it with us this morning. Jesus said, understand what you read in the book of Daniel. Understand, in other words, it's about him again. Daniel's prophecy isn't about the people. It's about Christ coming. It's about the Messiah. It's about him showing up. And in those 490 years, and the reason why I read Matthew 24 is people have taken that to end times. They've taken it to our day and tried to transpose it so that it has something to do with the end of the world and the end of time. It doesn't have anything to do with the end of time. It had to do with the end of the Jewish system was being judged. For the Lord said, the hour has come that now the system is judged. I believe I read that last week, is that that in that time, God has given them space. And after even Jesus gives his life, there is still time and space until 70 A.D. when God is going to have Titus come down and completely destroy Jerusalem again. And never again will God allow temple worship to be his worship. But he will only allow worship in Jesus Christ. There will only be one worship for all people of all tongues, of all nations, and that will be the worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The only thing God would allow is worship to him now is what we call Christianity. So the foretelling of the Messiah to come. Some of the Jews understood that it was close. They understood Daniel's prophecy. Some of them were looking. Some of them were waiting. We find Anna down at the temple. She's waiting. Simeon. Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. How does he know? It's because somehow God has spoken to him in this prophetic, prophetic revelation that he can understand the Christ is upon us. The Christ is just about here. Maybe he's one of those that went to Daniel and read it and understood it that, hey, the Christ, the Messiah, is just about to be born. Let me say this this morning, to look for another Messiah, 
to look for another Lamb of God that would take on the sin of the world is absolutely ludicrous. May I give you the definition of ludicrous again? It's so foolish and unreasonable and out of place that it's amusing. There's only one that will fit the, the Christ to come. There's only one that will fulfill the prophetic word of God. There's not another. There can't be another. John the Baptist said, Lord, shall we look for another? But John, let me reassure you, Jesus is the Messiah, what was to come. He is the one Daniel spoke about. He is the one Isaiah spoke about. He is the one Malachi spoke about. He's the one that all the prophets spoke about. Jesus was to come and to prove yet again that he is that Messiah. We will go through the story of his death again this morning. There's just one Savior. Just said in the perfect timing of his birth, his life, his death. The God-man Jesus Christ. So Daniel knows it and sets it up. Gabriel knows it. Can you think about the, Gabriel, uh, the angel Gabriel who, who comes to Daniel and then some 400 plus years later he shows up at Joseph's house and Mary. What an amazing thing. He's telling this this plan of salvation. And what a favored angel to be able to be a part of that. Second Corinthians 8, chapter 9, verse, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that on account of you he became poor, being rich, that you, by the poverty of that one, might become rich. He who knew no sin, became sin sacrifice for you. The perfect, spotless, holy, righteous one that we sang about this morning, sinless and faultless, became the sacrifice for you. All according to God's plan. I want to take John 3.16 and Galatians 4.4 and add them together. If you're not familiar with I know you are with John 3.16, but Galatians 4.4, you can go home and read that uh, in connection with this this morning. Jesus, being Lord of all, but Son of God, was learning under guardians and housemasters until the appointed time predetermined by the progenitor Father in the beginning. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, the only begotten, into the world, the Jewish system, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The Lord is already in the earth. He's already done his messianic ministry. But yet God has given him to the world as a ransom for you and I, for salvation for you and I. Someone had to pay for our sins. Someone... And it had to be a member of this human race that would pay for the sin of the human race. I've said this before, and I think probably that animals that were sacrificed, the Scripture said, could never take away the sin of man. It had to be a man to pay the price for the sins of man. Isn't it interesting that back the Mayans and in in years and years gone by, and they find this now in archaeology, that the Mayans felt like that human sacrifice was needed to appease the gods. And I don't think human sacrifice of Christ was needed to appease the God, but I think it was needed because of the sins of man, that because of our sin, God shed His blood so that you and I might be found righteous in Him. He who was rich became poor on our part, when we could not do it, your blood would not forgive sin. Your sacrifice cannot forgive sin. There's only one blood that washes away sin. And that's not the blood of bulls and goats. That's not the blood of a good man here or a good man there. But it is the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Only He can fulfill 
The prophetic need, the prophetic voice can only be fulfilled in Christ Jesus our Lord and Savior. He entered the world, and I want to to explain just briefly this word world in the Greek. It's the cosmos. Uh, At times it's used to mean the whole created cosmos, the heavens and the earth. And at times it's used to mean the system. If you go into John 17, there I believe it's 19 times that Jesus in his prayer in John 17 will use the word the world or the cosmos. But the way he uses it there is not going to mean the earth in its creation, but rather the system, the system of, of, of the Jews in particular. When he says in John 17, raises his head and says, I am no longer in the world. He doesn't mean I'm no longer on the planet. What he means is he's no longer in the system. God, in John 3.16, delivered him into the system. He's already the only begotten son. It's not a delivery out of heaven into the earth. It's a delivery out of the earth into the system. And he will walk into that thing at his baptism, at his anointing, at him being Messiah. Now he will go into the desert. He will come back anointed by the Spirit of God, and he will go into the system, and he will continue to preach in the system until the day of his death. He doesn't go across the world. He doesn't take this gospel in other lands. He stays in the system. And the system hates him. The system cannot accept his gospel. The system does not believe his gospel. But whosoever believeth on him shall have eternal life. In John 17, he said, I thank you, mighty Father, that those that you have given to me, I have kept them in your word. I have delivered your name to them, which was the name Yeshua, and he has kept them right in the middle of the system. And now I pray that you don't take them out of the system yet. Leave them in the system, but keep them right where they are in this world where they are. But yet he's leaving out of the system he's anointed and he is thrust into the system and he will die to exit out of the system he'll get out of this 490 years that God has determined for the completion of Judaism And we got a lot of things going on today. There are people that believe that God doesn't do anything in the earth until he does it in the Jews first. There are people that believe the Jews are the sign of the last day. That whatever happens to them, we'll be able to see that that's what's going to happen in end times. And I think that all to be a fallacy, believe me, that God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God's not in a religion somewhere and, and, and the mandates of that religion or, or the, the, the uh, moving back and forth of those people, whether they are a nation or not a nation, has nothing to do with the faith and belief in Jesus Christ. And there are some people that feel like that we should support the Jews. We should send money to bring them back to their homeland. But what I tell you this morning is Jesus looked at them and said, Your house is left desolate to you because I came. You didn't understand your day of visitation. But now just it's going to be 50 years after that Jesus, 40 some years after that Jesus dies, that that Judaism is going to completely be dissolved. And Paul talks about it. He said in that thing, right now it is being dissolved because there's a greater thing that came right out of the middle of that, that birthed right out of that 490 years. And it wasn't a new move of Judaism. It was a move of God Almighty who came and birthed and died and lived again out of the middle of that Jewish system. Yes, we are founded in Judaism, but thank God we are glorified in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord forever. Amen. 
So he entered in anointed and he exited on the death of the cross all prophetically predetermined. So I want to look at this text a little bit, John 12 that I read. It's one day before the Passover, the last Passover for the Lord. They say he was 33 and a half years old. We don't know that for sure. It looks like somewhere around those numbers. I read a thing where a guy believed that Jesus became an old, old man before he was crucified. Well, I don't really know where he got that. He's not looking at the numerical things here in Scripture. Now, I can't completely tell you in Daniel just exactly when that year was, but, but he's in his 30s, we believe, and the amount of time and, and the, uh, they use the feast that he went to every year as being kind of the marker of how old he was and how many feasts he went to. So let's say he's 33, 33 and a half. He goes to his last Passover. He's been to 33 in a row. Now he comes to the last one. He realizes it. And because of this, there's something going on in him. Just the previous scriptures, he has come down from the Mount of Olives. One of my favorite insights that he enters into Jerusalem, just people by the thousands shouting and praising. And I kind of see that picture in my mind. And then he gets into Jerusalem there. He's at the feast. The Greek men come up to Philip and say, we would see Jesus. And this is part of his answer to that, this text that I read this morning. But I just want to start in this one little place. He says, now my soul is troubled. Literally, my human psyche is agitated. I'm in some anxiety. We have people here this morning that deal with anxiety, all different levels. I want to reassure you that the Lord knows what anxiety is about. He understands that this is his last feast. The time has come. The prophetic word is about to come into place and anxiety is setting within him. Is anybody here ever afraid, you feel afraid to die? You feel like it's the unknown. You know, I'm ready, but it's the unknown. I, I, I don't know what to expect. What's going to happen out there? And though we've been Christian believers all our life, I sat with Kay's dad, and he talked to me. I don't know, remember if Kay was there or not. He said, I'm, I'm ready to go. He said, but I just, just I don't want to die. I don't know what's out there, and he had me pray with him again, and he didn't need any more prayer. He'd been serving the Lord and praying all his life, but just, just anxiety. The world around us is filled with anxiety right now. People are afraid, and the fear mongers are making it worse and worse to the point that, that people can't hardly function. Jesus felt anxiety. Let me encourage you this morning that you're not going through a trial that the Lord hasn't already tasted of. You know, he tasted of everything. He, he knows what it is, and so he feels this anxiety, and he said, what shall I say now then? Shall I say, God, get me out of here? But he said, no, rather, I understand, and I know that I came in here for this hour. And so for me to leave out of here, 
is not the prophetic word of God. You have brought me to this hour and then we could go to the garden again where that anxiety is laying heavy upon him again. If it be your will, let this cup pass from me and, and feeling that again. But let me tell you what he did. And I like this because by his example, we can deal with anxiety. He glorified God. Instantly, he said, Father, glorify thy name. And when God glorifies himself, he sets us at ease. When God comes into focus in our life, and anxiety puts us out of focus, and, and the Lord is dealing with that, but then he focuses back in and says, Father, glorify thy name. And it is spoke out of heavenly. I have glorified and I will glorify. What a promise. Now the Lord can go on because of the promise that he knows, he already understands it, but that, that confirmation that God is going to get glory out of this thing, that God has designed this thing, he's put it together, and so he glorifies God and and spoke out of heaven, there is this, this commendation that says, I already have been glorified. He was glorified. His name was glorified in the manger when Jesus was born. His name was glorified when he went to the baptism and he was anointed on high. His name was glorified when he did the messianic ministry and healed and raised from the dead and showed the work of God. God would be glorified and don't you doubt for a minute that I've been glorified and I will be glorified again in your life. This final thing that's going to take place in the life of Christ, it must just, I believe he understands it's going to be crucifixion. If I were to, to go to my death, I don't know how many of you have thought about this, but if you were to go to your death, how would you like that to be done? I'm just praying, Lord, when it's time, just take me out of here. Just, okay, good, I'm gone. But the Lord sees ahead the cross. And, and that, that picture of the cross. I'll tell you, I don't believe there is anyone who could look at that and say, I'm going to go to that cross and I'm good to go. But he's dealing with that. But this is finally going to certify his death will bring closure to the idea that he is the only Christ. He's the only one that fits the bill. So he begins to take this on and, and get ready for this day. If you put up for me their Psalms, the 118th chapter and the 19th. I told you we were going to read some, some uh, scripture today, and we certainly are. Psalm 118 and the 19th through the 29th verses. Here the psalmist. The psalmist sees a thing. He sees a picture of a day. Read along with me. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go in into them and I will praise the Lord. He's going to open the gate of righteousness. This is the gate of the Lord which the righteous shall enter. And let me find my text. I will praise thee. Next verse. I will praise thee. Thou hast heard me and art become, art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day 
which the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. When I was a kid, we sang this song and we used it for Sunday morning. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice. And we used it, you know, for that day to rejoice in it. And that's fine and that's good. But that's, that's not the application of this scripture right here. Go on to the next verse. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee. Send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. And continue. God is the Lord, which has showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even the horns of the altar. And what the psalmist doesn't know right here is that he's giving us a picture of the cross. If you look at the Hebrew and the horns which come out, it's just that which is protruding. And buying the sacrifice with cords is not something that they did in the Old Testament. They didn't need to tie the sacrifice down. It was dead. This is a picture of the Christ. This is a picture of the cross that not only did they nail them down with nails at times, but they wound ropes around their arms because they wouldn't stay on the cross if the nails ripped out. And they bound them and tied them. This is a picture of exactly what was to come. Let's finish it out. And thou art my God, I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. Verse, oh, give thanks unto the Lord. He is good, for his mercy endures forever. Amen and amen. Prophetically speaking, of the day that was appointed of the Lord, this is the day the Lord has made. This is the day God has appointed. Wow. This day is different than any other day in human history. This day is not just another day. This is a day God has determined for the salvation of mankind. This is not just another passing day. Well, we'll just live it and get it over with and, and it's going to be good. No, heaven and earth are based on this day. If you know anything about the mind of God before the beginning of time and the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth, this was the day that God was talking about. One 24-hour period that would change the destination of human souls. This day is the day that I have made, says the Lord. If you see anything in the prophetic, you'll see that this day above all other days. So I want to talk about this day before we close. Jesus is coming to his final day before being cut off. In other words, put, it, put to death. John, the 12th chapter. And on later on in that day, he says to his disciples, Go prepare a place for us to eat the Passover dinner. And really, it was not the Passover itself, but it was the preparation dinner. Because the Passover itself is done by the slaying of a lamb. And so this is the day before the Passover. If we can find that just exactly in Scripture, very easy. And the day before, he tells them, before the sun is going down, the Jewish day is from sunset to sunset. Go find us this place and prepare this dinner. And the disciples said to him, he spoke directly to Peter and John, and then they said to him, Lord, how do we know where to go? He said, well, go in the city there. You'll find a man with a pitcher. 
And somebody recently had talked about that a little bit. You'll find a man with a picture, not a woman, and, and so you follow him. And he'll lead you to an upper room that's furnished. But then you're going to have to get the supplies for this dinner. And so as it begins to get sunset in the evening, the Lord gathers his disciples and they go into this upper room. When the sun goes down, it begins, this is the day that the Lord has made. When that sun set, until that sun sets again, is going to be the salvation of mankind. It's not just going to be like it has been in the years past, just another Passover. Hey, we're just going to eat another lamb. We're going to do another celebration, and we're going to have Passover again. It was really good, and on the way home, we'll talk about it. And No, not this day. This day is unlike any other day in human history. And this day, when it starts, don't you know that that level of anxiety in him is barking at him again? You know the sun just set. You know the day in front of you. You know what's going to happen in the next 24 hours. But he is, not only does he have anxiety, but he has a joy in his heart because he understands for the joy that was set before him, he endures the cross, despising the shame. He understands that it's rough. It's tough. It's going to be a bad, bad day for him in his human man. But yet it's going to be a glorious day in the spirit. And, and he tells his disciples that they sit down and they begin to eat this preparation dinner. He says, I have desired with a desire to sit down and eat this with you, my disciples. They don't know. I mean, to them, they've heard him preach. But they don't understand the layout of what's going to happen. But they're just having another Passover with him. They don't know that it's the Last Supper. They don't know everybody get on one side of the table. we got to paint a picture. The Last Supper. They don't know that. They're just there. They're just eating with him. And Jesus breaks, breaks the silence with this. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. I'm going away. Don't be upset about it. I know it's going to be a trial for you, but I'm going away. He's telling them as they're sitting at dinner, he's, he's explaining to them. He's giving them his last will and testament, and they don't really even understand that. They don't, they don't know that this is his last day, but he does. Don't be afraid, guys. You're going to look for me, but you're not going to see me after this. But, but listen, I'm going away in this. But I'm coming back in spirit. So I won't leave you orphans, and I won't leave you by yourself. I'm coming back to you. I'm not talking about some end-time rapture somewhere. I'm talking about those disciples themselves. And they're bracing themselves, and he's trying to get them ready, and, and he's beginning to let them know just exactly who he is. And I talked about this last week, and, and he identifies himself again to them. I am, don't you understand that I and the Father, don't you understand that, that, that I'm the one? And they begin to start to get the picture, but yet they don't understand exactly what's going to happen during this day. They finish their dinner. They have that Lord's Supper, that communion. And Jesus says to them, this is my body. They're probably thinking, you know, this is strange. I don't understand, but okay, we'll go along with him. This is my blood which is poured out for you. And they partake of that, but still, still it's kind of vague to them. And Jesus said, let us go. We're going to go across Kedron to Gethsemane. And... One of the things that I'd like to hear, I don't know if you can get replay in eternity. I don't know if there is such a thing. But I'd like to hear those old sailors singing that hymn with him. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, our music is so fine and 
and we were all on key, and and it's so beautiful, and and here you got these old sailors, and they're singing an old hymn, probably pretty rough, off key. You know, might be Peter. I I think Peter probably had the loudest voice, don't you? He was always that way, pretty boisterous, and he probably was off key, but he made up for it with volume. And they're walking out to Gethsemane now, and and then Jesus says, pray with me. The hours are starting to roll by now. It's nighttime. It is dark. The disciples are sleepy. Pray with me. He goes further and comes back, and they're asleep. Can you not pray with me for just one hour? And they're trying. You know, their spirit's willing, but their flesh is weak. And they can't seem to stay awake. And, and but then all of a sudden, torches and men with weapons show up. The place lights up now, and, and they're looking for Jesus. And Judas comes up and betrays him. The Lord says, who are you after? They said, we're looking for Jesus. And he said, I am. And they fall back on the ground. That would be enough for me. I take my torch, I take my weapon, and I'm gone. But now they arrest him, tie him up like a criminal, and lead him down to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. I'm going to assume it's about midnight now, and, and the Lord, for the last four hours, has been with his disciples and in prayer, and they have arrested him now. They take him down to Caiaphas' house. And the scripture says, until daybreak, they mocked him. They beat him. They blasphemed him. I mean, now it's starting. The pressures are building up. Now the suffering is starting to come on. He's now, can you imagine being pushed around and beat for six hours that they are railing on him. And now at daybreak, the rooster crows. Peter, who's outside, his heart is broken now because the Lord said that, that you'll deny me three times before the rooster. Now the rooster crows and Jesus is on the inside. And, and Peter now is smote because he realizes his error and mistake. He doesn't understand the arrest of Jesus. He doesn't understand them taking him and going to crucify. He doesn't understand that. But by the grace of God, somehow these guys will take hold of the word of the Lord. And Jesus said, don't give up. Don't be troubled because this day will be over. And when this day is over, glory is going to come. And now they take Jesus and tie him again. It must be, oh, about eight in the morning when they start business there in Jerusalem. Pontius Pilate comes to his office. And there, wait, I missed the part. They took him to the, 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 the hall of hewn stone. At daybreak, they did take him to the hall of hewn stone. And that was the place of the Sanhedrin. They had gathered there again at the Sanhedrin. And in the hall of the hewn stone, that's where they rejected the stone that God had called and anointed the precious stone. And then from there, they take him up to Pilate. Now, it's about 8 o'clock, and they get him to Pilate. Pilate doesn't understand why they want him to be executed. He questions Jesus. He asks him about his background. He asks him what he's about, and he finds him innocent. They send him down to Herod, and Herod and his soldiers mock him a while. And Herod wants Jesus to do a miracle to show Herod, but Jesus will not do that comes back to Pilate, and Pilate says to him again, and says to the crowd, I find no fault in him. Why is it that you want him crucified? Why He doesn't understand, but listen, this is the day that the Lord has made. It's not about Pilate. 
It's not about the Sanhedrin. It's not about the high priesthood. It's about the Lord. The Lord has designed the day. And they're just following just exactly what God has already scripted. And that will happen by the prophetic word of God. Messiah will be cut off out of the land of the living. So now, Pilate, one more time, has conversation with Jesus. Presents him to the people one more time and says, this is your king. And they begin to yell, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Now the scripture says, and I like this part because this is just synonymous, it's perfect. The scripture says that it was growing close to the sixth hour of the day, which is noon. And at noon, they would go out and slay the lamb for the Passover. It was getting close to that time, so they are ramping it up. Crucify him. Get rid of him. Get rid of him. They've got to do it quickly because they have to go get their lamb for their sacrifice of their sin. They've got to kill their lamb. It's time. We've got to go out and make preparations to kill him. So get, get rid of this Jesus character so we can go on and get us a lamb to take away our sin. And what they don't understand is standing before them is what John the Baptist said, Behold, the lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. You're not going to need another little lamb to do another Passover with because the lamb of God is going to take away the sin of the world. So it's drawing close. Pilate says, okay, we'll crucify him. Takes him out and flogs Jesus and heads him off to Calvary. They got him there and got him nailed and tied and crucified at about 9 o'clock, or, or excuse me, the uh, ninth hour, which is, excuse me again, the sixth hour, which is 12 o'clock. And they get him standing there now on the cross, and an amazing thing happened. God shut the lights off. And can you imagine this? They're down there getting ready to kill their lambs, and God put out the light. They're getting ready to do one more Passover, and God put out the light. They're getting ready to do another religious thing and roll their sin ahead again, and God put out the light. But we know that there was a great light that came, and that light came down from, from, from north, and it came down the way, the, the Via Maris, and, and that was that great light was Jesus Christ. And we know that even though the light was out, that the light was on the cross, and that there all focus, all, all authority and glory would go to the one that's on the cross shut out the light to everything else and there's Jesus for three hours from the sixth hour to the ninth hour from 12 o'clock our time until three o'clock in the afternoon it's pitch black they can't see to do their sacrifices and then all of a sudden the light comes back on I think it was just to expose everything about him, everything about the prophetic word. And when the light came back on, Jesus cried with a loud voice, God, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And a veil was rent and an earthquake took place and Jesus breathed out his last breath and he gave up the ghost and he would never breathe again as a human being. But thank God he wasn't done breathing because he was going to breathe on them again and again and again and in an upper room and in a, in a time when they needed to know the Spirit of God. He would breathe on them, but he gives up his last final breath it is finished it's done it's over the day that the Lord made there's only time enough now left in the day for Nicodemus to get the body of Jesus and take it down off the cross to wrap it up and to lay it in a tomb. 
And he had to do it before dark because of the Jew Sabbath. 24 hours. Those 24 hours set us free from the power of sin. I love that line. It says, it was there sin's power over me was taken away. Folks, you're born in sin. You're born and shaped in sin. You, you don't have to do anything to be in sin. You're already in sin, thanks to Adam, thanks to the sin nature. But thanks be unto Jesus Christ, he broke the power of sin over our life. And you're not a sinner anymore. Can somebody say amen? I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I don't like that, 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 that label. I don't like that at all. I am set free by the power of Jesus Christ. I used to be a sinner. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I used to be there. I'm not there anymore. I'm not admitting that that's what I am anymore. Somebody said, well, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic that's recovering. No, I'm set free by the power of God. That's what I used to be. But now I'm saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And by his grace, he has set us free. By his grace, he who was rich became poor for our sakes that we who were poor might become rich in Christ Jesus. It's this horrific day had come to pass. But in the prophetic revelation, we don't stay there. We look back there and we see the cross and we remember it. But we don't stay there. Because revelation keeps marching on. We don't stay at the manger. We don't stay at the Jordan River. We don't stay there where he's hanging. He's not hanging on the cross anymore. If you got a little thing with him hanging on the cross, you know, ladies wear them, you know, earrings and, and pendants and different things, and, you know, that's up to you. But, but I just wanted to let you know he's not on the cross anymore. Oh, no, he's going to move on by the power of prophetic revelation. He's going another place. He's yet to get to some other places. He's come from birth to baptism to the cross, but, but yet there's some more of the revelation of Jesus Christ that we haven't touched on yet that, that's going to be just as powerful and just as moving. But, but thank God for this day. Because of this day, He will forever be Lord and Savior. Because of this day, His name is above all names, and that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. God has given him a name which is above all names. That at the name of Jesus. Oh, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Not just this day, Sunday morning, that we come in, and I'm glad to rejoice in the Lord today with you. But I'm not rejoicing because you're here and because we get to come to church. I'm rejoicing because of a day that happened almost 2,000 years ago, just one day. And on that day, we found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Thank God for salvation. Can you say amen? That's the focus point of our life is that day that Jesus shed his blood that you and I might be free. Amen. I'm free this morning. Anybody here free? If you're free, you're not serving sin anymore. I'm not saying you're faultless. I'm not saying that you don't ever come into, you know, some problems, anxieties, things in your life. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying this morning, I'm free by the power of Jesus Christ. I don't have to sin any longer. Come on, say amen. I don't have to walk around and sin and repent every Sunday morning. I'm going to sin all week. I'm going to come and repent on Sunday morning. Go out and sin all week. Come back and repent. No, I'm free from the power of sin over my life because Jesus took a one day. He just took one day out of his life to change my life forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Would you come, musicians, and, and we're going to just sing a little something this morning, but would you pray with me?
Would you pray with me about this one day, Lord? Looking back on it, your suffering, what you went through, Lord, was hideous. But you did it. You designed it so that you might show your loving kindness and goodness to a lost and dying world. Look which we were. Everyone sitting here this morning, Lord, either we have come to you and we were given salvation by Jesus Christ or we potentially have that ability this morning. And Lord, so I pray for there may be one here this morning that says, I don't really know this Lord you've been talking about, but I want to experience his power of salvation in my life. And I pray, Lord, that you just touch that one, Lord, minister. And God, minister to us as believers, long-time believers, that we remember the day when sin lost and Jesus won. And we just love you this morning, Lord. Encourage every heart in this, we pray in your name. To me, so great the salvation.